the highlight, as most of you know, is that we're working in equipping the saints to change Christians. We want people to be growing from glory unto glory unto the image of Christ, that Jesus be glorified. That most Christians today are kind of tangentially connected to Jesus and connected to many other things in their life much stronger. And we emphasizing, I want to emphasize about four or five things that have come, just read them off, that have come from previous talks that we've had leading into this talk. And this talk is the first talk that has to do with repenting from sin and accepting Jesus as your Savior. As I was working on this talk, there is a lot about sin in this talk. There's a lot about sin. So there was a story a while back about a man who went to church and went home, and his wife said, well, what did the preacher preach on? And he said, well, he preached on sin. Well, what did he say? Well, he was against it. Well, there's going to be more than that, I hope, this morning. But it is very important that we not just skip over sin. It is something that we really have got to deal with, and Jesus made a huge emphasis on repenting from sin. It was his leading word. You must repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But we've talked about that the good news of the kingdom of God is the good news of Jesus as our Savior, Lord, and King. That's what the good news of the kingdom of God means. When we talk about that good news, Jesus as our Savior, Lord, and King is good tidings of great joy. When you think about it, you can't help but rejoice. He loved us so much. He gave his life for us and became our Lord and King. But it's also very serious good news. It's not something to be taken lightly. And then we talked in the scripture about how God was so concerned that he, people treated him as common rather than holy. And God is altogether holy and majestic. And the first of the Ten Commandments was that he would be the only God. You shall only worship me. And then we talked about that God's plan is to maximize our fellowship with Jesus for his glory and for our benefit. And on the contrary, Satan's plan is to minimize our fellowship with Jesus. And the discussion today on sin is going to be very important in this. But when you're thinking about the big picture of what's happening during your day, you'll find that God is pushing towards you coming close to Jesus. And you'll find Satan is pushing just to get you away from Jesus. Satan may even use religion to try to get you away from Jesus. But just get you away from Jesus. That's what he wants in any way he can. And we talked last week especially about how God was holy and how his heart is to bless us. And the holiness, the awesomeness of God is something our minds cannot hold on to. We just can't hold on to it. In Psalm 19, 1, it says that the heavens tell of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Remember last week we put John Holt on a rocket ship going 186,000 miles per second. How are you doing, John? Doing okay? And it headed him across the Milky Way. If we looked at John right now, he wouldn't have made any progress at all because it would take him 106,000 years to travel across the Milky Way, traveling at the speed of light. And yet we have 300 billion such galaxies in our universe. And that verse says the expanse of the universe is declaring the work of his hands. And it's so funny because in the olden days we would look up and we could kind of see the sky and that's how big it was. 
And the more intelligent and advanced we've had, we know there's more and more and more and more out there than we could ever see with the naked eye. And we've taken pictures of many of those things. But God wrote all the way back with the psalmist that the expanse of the universe would declare his glory. And it certainly does declare his glory. The Bible says that God presents Christ as the bridegroom and us as the bride. In Jeremiah 31, it says that they rejected me even though I was their husband. God views a very close and intimate relationship with us, not a distant, judgmental relationship, but a close, intimate relationship. And it's, he, the Bible says he examines our heart and he wants us to know his heart. And it was so important to God that when he got David, he found a man who was after his own heart. It's a spirit that the enemy puts out that we try to extract things from God, bring them under our own control, and then to enact them under our authority. I'm going to say that again. It's a spirit from the enemy to extract things from God, bring them under our own control, and then to put them under our authority. And Jesus yelled at the scribes and Pharisees for doing this very thing. He yelled at them. You don't want to be on the other end of Jesus saying, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs that are, that are clean on the outside and full of filth and death on the inside. You travel land and sea to make a single proselyte and then make them twice the child of hell that you are. You do not want to be on the other end of Jesus saying that to you. And he got on to people because men grab hold of things. And I say men, I mean men and women grab hold of things and pull them under their own control and exclude God. And God is desperately in this hour trying to get people who look at his heart, who love his heart, who are not trying to extract from him, but are trying to be with him. It is a gigantic change over the way that the order of this world dictated by Satan would run religion. And God is not somebody to be considered. He is the Almighty. He is holy. And the holiness of God is something is very hard for us to grab hold of. But it's a marvelously big thing that's important to be in our life. God is holy. There is no fault in him. And there is no searching of his depths. He is so majestic. So God examines our hearts. It's very important that our hearts be after his heart. And we've talked that the basic equipping of every saint and to me this is very important, is that a person repents of sin and gets set free from the bondage of sin. And sin has a bondage. We're going to talk about that today. They accept Jesus as their Savior. They accept Jesus as their Lord and King beyond just their Savior. They get baptized in water and the Holy Spirit. This is the starting pack. This is not ten years out. And today we're going to talk very seriously about the first couple of things here, repenting of sin and accepting Jesus as your Savior. And repenting from sin is a very important thing to the Lord. It says in Matthew 4, 17, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Jesus didn't say, I have something I would like to add to the way you live. Keep going the way you're going and add this in. Throw in a little of this. No, he said, I want you to stop the way you're going and change direction. Repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when we talk about repenting from sin, it's really important to talk about what sin is. And sin is just simply doing things that God said are wrong and not doing things that God said we should do. That's what sin is. Doing things God said are wrong and not doing the things God said that we should do. And when we see what's going on with with believers today, instead of repenting from sin, the dominant force in believers today is to play with sin, to toy with sin, to consider sin as an alternative, to look at it, to investigate it. The scripture is saying that repenting from sin should include the hatred of sin. Should include the hatred of sin. Instead, though, of being aggressive to reject sin, too often we give sin a place. And God is being adamant with us that we must repent of that. The heart of God is to rescue people from the destruction that sin brings. We'll say it again. The heart of God is to rescue people from the destruction that sins brings. And it's a serious rescue. I want you to imagine that you were on top of your car in the middle of an overflowing river. And the river is rising and rising and you're just standing on the top of your car and you're about to go under. And a helicopter comes up and drops down a basket and there you can climb in and be rescued. Well... That helicopter is descending something to you that is wonderful. It is a great rescue. But it is also a serious rescue. Not just a great rescue. It's a serious rescue. If you don't get in the basket, you're going to die. And this is God with sin. He is rescuing us from the destruction of sin. But it is a serious rescue for there is salvation in no other. So it isn't that God says, consider going this way. If you don't like this, we have a buffet of choices. You can go after philosophy. Philosophy will rescue you. You can go after good feelings. Good feelings will rescue you. No, there is salvation in no other. And when Jesus came, he presented the singular path to the Father. But for us to be rescued from the destruction of sin... So when we talk about sin and we talk about that it is bad, the scripture has several things that are very important about how bad it is. And the verse is a, a common verse for us is Romans 6, 23 that says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The result of sin, the wages of sin, is death. Sin kills. Sin kills. If we don't believe sin kills, sin still kills. It kills. The wages of sin is death. It kills. And in the same way that Satan is trying to kill us, Jesus is trying to give us eternal life through himself. Just the opposite of Satan. In Isaiah 59, 2, it says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so he does not hear. 
You know, oftentimes when we uh, come to the Lord, we're coming to the Lord with our most immediate problem. If you have children, it's likely a child. If you have grandchildren, it could be grandchildren. If you have somebody you know that's hurt, it's somebody you know, but we come to the Lord with our problems. The biggest problem we need to come to the Lord with is that he create within us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. And he forgive us of our sins. In the Lord's Prayer, we ask for forgiveness of sins. The Lord's Prayer is something we pray at least the equivalent of once a day. It's not something you do once when you're 16. It's something that we pray all the time. Jesus said to ask for forgiveness and ask the Father to forgive and for us to forgive just as the Father regularly forgives us. But we cannot allow iniquity to have a home within us. Now, I just suggest as a very practical thing, opening up to the Lord and saying, Lord, show me inside where there is a wicked way within me. Have your Holy Spirit search me in the bedrooms, in the living rooms, in the closets, in the kitchens of my life, and show me where there be a wicked way in me. And let that be a heart prayer because the Holy Spirit is faithful and will show us. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin. And one of the things he does is he brings a light onto iniquity and says, that's iniquity. And there's a lot of light in the scripture. And we're going to cover a number of verses this morning. There's a lot of light in the scripture that God just put there and said, I want you to know this is sin. We have the Ten Commandments. We have this is sin. This is not of God. But when we have sin residing in, in us and then we try to pray to the Lord, the most important thing to the Lord is going to be that we get rid of that sin. He knows how to answer prayers. But the most important thing is that he changes over to a bride that's without spot or wrinkle. And he will bring that lively within us. In Psalm 66, 18, it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If we have something that we know is bad, if we have something that we know we let abide within us, I'm just going to pick one, anger. If you're just angry at somebody, and you were angry yesterday, and you're angry the day before, you're angry the day before that, do you know in 1 John 3.15 it says, he who is angry with his brother is a murderer. Now, do you skip that verse? I skip that verse quite regularly. I go, that's pretty harsh. The Bible says he who is angry with his brother is a murderer. If we have anger sitting in our life, the Lord wants to come and dissolve it. He wants to replace it with himself, and he will. But he only comes at invitation. He doesn't bang the door down. He comes at invitation. If we regard iniquity in our life, the most important priority is to get rid of that iniquity. Now you might say, well, I've got somebody in my family that's just been a constant pain. I mean a pain for 20 years. This person's always a... Take it from you, they never give it to you. Whenever you talk to them, it's what can you do for them. You get on the phone and the first thing you're thinking is how can I get off the phone? Because I don't want to talk to this person. Do I love them? No, I barely tolerate them. And the Lord says, I want to change that within you. You have a bitterness towards that person and I want to change that bitterness to a love. And you go, well, I don't know. She deserves bitterness. I mean, this is a rancid woman I'm talking about. That's not it with God. You see, God 
came to us, it says in Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners. And he proved his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when Jesus talked to us, he said, if you love those who love you, you're no different than the heathen. But I tell you, love your enemies. Love the rancid relatives in your life. I'm telling you, love them. I share with, with some people sometimes that some of the most interesting things to me happen on Buford Highway. And just the Lord to show me as if to show me he knows how to do things. And I, the Lord has a tremendous sense of humor. Those of you that know the Lord know he's, he, he is more humorous. He'll put things together. He's just great in that regard. So one of the things that bothers me is when you're waiting in a long left turn line. And I mean 25 cars or something. And these people in the right lane right next to you run right up to the left turn, turn on their left blinker, and force their way in. Have you seen that? Just drive on Buford Highway, you'll see it. It's rampant on Shallowford Road. You take Shallowford Road to Barcliff, you can have a line of 50 cars and people running up on the right and coming in. Well, I had a great one on Buford Highway because I, I was in the lane, I was in this long lane turning left, and I was getting ready to, and at one time, a car from the right quickly cut in front of me, and a car from the left cut in right behind him. It was two right in a row. I didn't even see the person on my left. I don't even know where they came from. But just all of a sudden, you were sitting there, bam, bam, bam. And I had to break in order not to have a wreck. And the Lord worked on me a number of years ago, continues to work on me. Are you going to talk about them? You're going to pray for them. If you're going to pray for them, there's no talking about them. I guess I'm talking about them now. But he said, there's no talking about them. There's no complaining. Are you going to pray for them? And I said, but this is a juicy story. It hasn't got to do with it. It's a juicy story. Are you going to pray for them? Do you love your enemies? Jesus loved his enemies. And inside of us, he wants to replace everything that's not of him with himself. So when we regard iniquity in our life, that's God's number one priority, to get rid of that. And the Holy Spirit will do it. Sometimes I just write down on a piece of paper, what is it that God wants me to do right now that I know for sure? Not that I maybe know, but that I know for sure. And then go do those things. You, you may think, well, that doesn't relate to the big problems in my life. It does relate to the big problems in our lives because God relates to everything in our lives. And when you please God, everything flows the right way. I just can't tell you how much it says in Scripture that if you will keep my commands, I will reveal myself to you. That's what it says in John 14, 20. He says it over and over. So when we read these things and we read that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it isn't that one time we sin and we never sin anymore. Anytime there's iniquity or sin in our life, God is saying, get rid of it. It separates you from me. My best example is for people who have smelled a skunk. I don't know anybody, I don't want to ask for hand raises, but I know Helen and I were together one time when we smelled a skunk. A skunk is one bad-smelling individual. You smell a skunk, I mean, when the, that defensive odor, you cannot go, it's not that bad. You have to get out of there. You don't have an option. You have to leave. When we regard iniquity in our life, it's like keeping skunk perfume sprayed in our heart. That's what it does to God. It's repulsive. 
Now, oftentimes, we excuse it. And the way we excuse it is we compare ourselves to other people. And we go, well, nobody likes this rancid cousin I've got. We all don't talk to her. She's just bad. So I'm just doing what everybody else does. But you know what Jesus said? That which is approved among men is detestable in the sight of God. Did you know that? And we are not called to be like other people. We are called to be like Jesus. We are following a Savior and a Lord and King that's not everybody else, but it's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what he wants to do within us is much higher than what the world says in comparing ourselves one to another. Jesus said, how can you please God when you, when you want the praise of men rather than the praise of God? How can you please God when you seek the praise of men? You can't please him. You must seek the praise of God. So when God says it, it's a big deal. When he has sin in us, it's a big deal. Now, I'm going to go through some examples of sin. And when I was doing this, there's a little risk that you're going to get weighed down with all the sins. But I don't want to skip talking about them because it is important to recognize that the Scripture is very explicit, listing out sin. So if you say, well, I didn't know that was a sin. I didn't know that was a sin. You know, the Holy Spirit will show you what's a sin. Even if it's not on this list or you don't hear it, the Holy Spirit will come and say, you've got a bad attitude. You harbor resentment. You keep bitterness. You are an unforgiving person. The Holy Spirit will point that out inside. He will do that. He's faithful. But the Scripture is extremely helpful to guide us into understanding the Lord. And He lays out in detail several places. These things are sins. The first one I know we all know and I'm not going to spend much time on is the Ten Commandments. And so in Exodus 20, verse 3 through 17, we have Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me is the first one. It's not the first one by chance. We make many gods before the one holy God. Now, we're not too much into making idols with our hands. I hope not. But we create pride as more important than God. And we put it up in front of God. Anything that is more important than God is an idol. And he said, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first thing. We know the rest of the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments is honor thy father and thy mother. That's one that you need to do. If you don't do it, then we're sinning by not doing it. We need to honor our father and our mother. In Leviticus 18, the Lord is describing different things about what's going to happen coming into the new land. And he's talking about the Amorites or the Canaanites. Those are pretty, pretty synonymous words in the scripture. And he's saying that they did, they did things that were abominable to God. These were abominations. Now, so when we're reading scripture and we're reading sins, it's important to pick up on things. If God says this is an abomination, that's a pretty big emphasis. And you know, when God talked to Abraham, he said, I'm going to let your country, your, your people, be in a foreign country for 400 years until the sins of the Amorites are complete. God waited 400 years for the Amorites to be so bad, he was going to wipe them out. He gave them a long time. It mentions in the scripture several times how patient God is with people. It says in Revelation that Jezebel was in the church 
and that they were, they were having sexual relations in the church that she was promoting. And God says, and I have given her time to repent, but she would not. And the Lord is gracious, and he gives time, and he gives mercy, and he gave the Amorites at least 400 years. But they went in the wrong direction. And they were doing abominable things. And he said, for these abominations, I am going to wipe them out. So these were important abominations. And so here are five of them that are listed in Leviticus 18, 6 through 30. He says, incest with a family member. And he describes that. Adultery. And he describes that. Do not offer your children to Molech as a human sacrifice. That would seem very obvious. Do not lie with a male as with a female. Do not have sexual relations with animals. Those were abominations to God for which he was wiping out the Amorites. And five times in that chapter it mentions that these are abominations. God put a huge emphasis on that. But, you know, when Jesus came, Jesus made a list of sins. In Mark 7, 21 through 23, Jesus says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Well, even when I went through that list, I had to double-check on a few of them. Pride is a sleeper. Deceit. I can remember being young and growing up and thinking being deceitful is clever. That's different than lying, but it's not. Deceitful and lying are in the same list. But Jesus laid those things out, and he said, those proceed from the heart of man, and they defile. They make man unholy. They set him apart as defiled. So if you need lists of sin, that's a great place where Jesus lists out sin. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, I love this one, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this. Just as I forewarned you, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to stop here because there's a couple of more lists, but as you read through those lists, I just always feel, duh, 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 just going down, down, down. But these things are rampant within our culture. All these things, just think about this, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. Amazing how prominent that is in the way that we live. Because this is the regular way the ruler of this world lives. These are the things that the enemy promotes. In 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 5 is, is another list, and there seems there are extra things on each one of these lists. 
It says, in the last days, men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Now, after reading five lists like that, I would think we're out of things that could be sins. Do you know what I mean? But the next list even has more. And so in Romans 1, 24 through 32, is a tremendous description of how God revealed himself in nature and how men rejected him as common and he gave them over to a depraved mind. And so he says, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Now that's a long list. The thing that strikes me here, though, at the end, they not only do the bad thing, but they support and give approval to other people that do it. Now the scripture goes through all these things so that we cannot say in the end, Lord, I just didn't know what was wrong. I just didn't know what was wrong. I'm telling you, I just gave you a list of at least 50 things that the Scripture says, these are bad. Now, if I was reading those things and you went, ooh, man, I got a little bit of that, well, let's get rid of a little bit of that. If I was reading that thing and I saw in me, that thing on pride and arrogance or whatever that was, I got a little bit of that. I might have a chunk of that. Let's get rid of that. Don't just leave it around. Do not let sin have a place within you. Do not give Satan a foothold. Do not let sin be regarded in our hearts. Now, Jesus went on beyond that. I would think with all those lists, that's pretty tough. But you know what Jesus said. Jesus said on anger in Matthew 5.22, I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. 
Is that amazing? That is strong. That's just being angry. That's just being angry. Now, I want to make sure we understand this. You can be angry. It has nothing to do with whether you're right. That doesn't enter into it. It's whether you're angry. You know, if somebody is not truthful to you and you get angry at them, you're angry. It doesn't say why you're angry. It just says you're angry. And if you are angry at your brother, the Lord says there's a consequence just for that. Jesus also said on lust and adultery in Matthew 5, 28, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's a tough one. That is a rough verse. But Jesus says if you have just looked and thought about it, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. And one of the difficulties on this is we don't have a concept of the holiness that God wants to bring us to, which is his full holiness. It is impossible for sin to reside in this presence. I have an instrument at work, and it's a high-resolution, inductively coupled plasma mass spectrometer. I know you're all familiar with those. And inside of it, we have a little beam of plasma. Well, plasma, when I went to school, we mostly talked about three states of matter, solid, liquid, and gas. Plasma is a fourth state of matter that is a superheated ionized gas. Superheated ionized gas. The surface of the sun is a plasma. So that little tube of gas, which I can see is a little green tube that's about a quarter in diameter, is at 8,000 degrees centigrade. If you were to take your finger and just kind of whip it right through there, it would do a wonderful good incision and lop off your finger. 8,000 degrees centigrade, temperature of the surface of the sun. If you were to drop a little piece of water on there and say this, that water would go just so fast through steam you wouldn't even know, there would be nothing there. Now that's the way that sin is in the presence of God. It cannot exist. It cannot be there. The holiness of God cannot hold it. And that is one of the reasons that God looks at us through the blood that Jesus shed. Because the blood that Jesus shed pays the price for our sin. And that's how he can associate with us. But he could not associate with us directly. He cannot have the unholy. In the Old Testament, a couple of places it says, and do this because God walks through the midst of your camp and he cannot be in contact with the unholy. Now you're saying, well, you're being awful stuck up, God. This isn't God being stuck up. This is the nature of God. He's more wonderful than we're thinking. Most of us bring God down into some sort of box and say he's kind of like this, and then that's it. But God is bigger and greater than we can think. He is more marvelous. So in the scripture, when Jesus is talking about this, he said, you must be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And most times the enemy will come right in there and say, that's unrealistic. You can't be that way. We couldn't be that way on our own, but the things which are not possible with men are possible with God. Jesus does change us. He changes us. He does the most amazing thing that we could never do. And we talked on this verse before, Colossians 1. In Colossians 1, he says, For the richness of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, it's Jesus in us that is the hope of that glory. And that's a rich, glorious mystery. It's not something we understand, but it's true. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now, I'm just going to list one more sin, okay? So 
This one to me is important because in Mark 7, 9, when Jesus was talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, he talks about a sin that comes up in religion. And I want to highlight this, and there are more in this section, but I think that's enough of sins. There are more in this section, but this one was important. In Mark 7, 9, he says, You are experts at setting aside the command of God for the tradition of men. You are experts at setting aside the command of God for the traditions of men. And the church today is expert at setting aside the command of God for the traditions of men. I was talking with a minister um, just within the last year, and he was saying that he had gone to the Netherlands and was talking with some ministers there. Now, I'm not saying this is true of every minister there, but he was talking with some ministers there. And they were just sharing with him, and they said, well, you know, the culture here is really different. And um, so it's a little bit looser on the sexual side. So what we do is among the ministers, we exchange wives. Did not see it as sin. Among the ministers, we just exchange wives. That's the culture here. Do you see that? That's the way God's, exactly what's in your heart about that is the way God sees every sin. Every sin is to be hated. But you'd look at that person and go, how could you have gotten so deceived? Again, I'm not saying this is all the ministers in the Netherlands, but this happened. This is a true story. And this person wasn't hiding it. They were just explaining we're in the culture. The culture comes at us every day a thousand times, and you have to stand up in the Lord and know our God and be clear with him because we are to be lights to the world, not to be following the darkness in the world. And we are to be lights. But the world is deceived. They are deceived. So the Bible says our attitude towards sin is that we are to repent from it and hate it. In Psalm 97.10, the Bible says, Hate evil, you who love the Lord. It's to be true in our life that the one thing we're to hate is to hate evil. We're to love one another. We are to love people who are in bondage to evil. But we are to hate evil. It says in Proverbs 8.13, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. And then in Romans 12, 9, Paul says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil and cling to that which is good. Abhor that which is evil. Like I mentioned before, I'm going to keep saying this. I think it's a big message for our generation. We play with evil. We don't hate evil. And God is calling us to hate evil. If you go, well, I can hear that. I know you should hate sin and all that. Hate evil. And I want to be super clear on this, that hating evil can be done without hating people who are in bondage to evil. Because the enemy will always try to cast Christians as unloving people. Christians are the most loving people. But Christians also know what's killing you. And they hate what's killing you. And they don't want you to go into destruction for that which is killing you. So just as Jesus had the woman who was caught in adultery, and he said to her, 
neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus recognized sin and hated sin, but loved the person. And we're called to love everybody. God loved the world while we were sinners. We are called to love people. I hope I don't have to say this 15 times, but the enemy brings it in as such a lie about Christians. It's very important to be heralded that every single person we see, we accept and love, but hate the evil that is in them and in the whole world and is in us. We hate it. It's a very important thing to do. Now, it it to me is something that we shouldn't be surprised about. We shouldn't be surprised that the enemy tries to lie about us to the world. But it says of Jesus that Jesus loved righteousness and hated iniquity. In Hebrews 1.9 it says of Jesus, You have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Now sometimes people will go, You know that joy of the Lord, I've really had it at one time. And I just, I just don't have it just exactly like I've had it. I really like to have it like I had it at this retreat. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, I think 1973, I went to a retreat in Corville. I think Don was speaking at it. And we just worshipped and called out to the Lord and had ministry and the Word of God and the Spirit of the Lord was moving for three or four days. And I got on a bus to come back home and I just felt washed, 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 clean, clean, clean. It was just great, great, great feeling. Wash, 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 clean, clean, clean. I love that. Well, where did that come from? It came from being in the presence of the Lord. It came from the Holy Spirit wash. Jesus kept saying that the word that I give you will wash you. And one of the reasons it's so important, and, and Candy was referring to this in the Psalms, it's so important for the scriptures to come through us and for us to hear it, is it washes us. Now, if you've got little boy grandchildren, you know that little kids need to be washed periodically, preferably once every 24 hours. We need to be washed spiritually all the time. And one of the great things of just reading the Scripture and hearing the Scripture is that we get washed. Jesus said, the word that I've given to you, it's already cleaned you. The words that I give to you, they are spirit and life. Well, how are the words of Jesus spirit and life? I don't know. But they are spirit and life. When he speaks words, they're spirit and life. And you receive the life because you're hearing his words. Well, I can tell you how Jesus had an oil of gladness above his brethren. It was because he loved God's way and hated Satan's way. He didn't love God's way and tolerate Satan's way. He loved God's way and hated Satan's way. And I found in my life that when I got serious about those things, God pointed out to me and said, you need to get rid of this. And you need to get rid of it now because I'm God telling you. When I did that, it changed me dramatically. I went through a long time where I said, well, I know these things are not so bad. I'm kind of working on them. Kind of working on them is not okay. God is saying, hate them, repent, and reject them, not kind of work on them. That's not okay. And when you do that, there's a joy that comes. There's an oil of gladness that comes from that because you have given yourself over into the hands of the Almighty. And those things are no longer tagging around. I think it's very important. I I, I don't like to share too many stories. Um, 
The one thing I hate is, you know, the Bible has this thing, don't pay so much attention to people who say they have special visions. I don't have a lot of visions, but I do have some things that the Lord has shown me. And I'm going to talk in this next section. I'm not going to finish this, but I want to talk about the nature of sin because there's five things that are about sin that the Bible says that are not commonly known. A couple of them are commonly known, but the Scripture says of sin, the first is that sin deceives. Now, it doesn't say that Satan deceives. It says that sin deceives. And in Hebrews, Hebrews 3.13, it says, But encourage one another every day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There is an inherent deceitfulness of sin. Sin is always out there. Somehow it calls to you and says, if you will participate, I will fulfill you and make you happy. That's the call of sin. No one enters sin going, this is going to hurt. This is going to be bad. There is a lie, a deception with sin that's inherent in sin. And Paul, and Paul is writing in Hebrews and says, do not let yourself get caught in the deceitfulness of sin. We have had some things in our day where we were trying to catch little varmints running around in our house, and they have these little sticky pads that you put on the floor. I think some of you know about them. If you don't, go into a varmint place and ask to see the sticky pads. But when the person says, don't put your fingers in there to test it, don't put your fingers in there to test it. You are not coming off. I mean, it isn't a little bit sticky. It is sticky. And you can have a little varmint run right across it, and they will just be in frozen because this paw can't move, this paw can't move. They're in the sticky stuff. It's really good. Paul says, do not get stickied into the deceitfulness of sin. It will grab you. Don't say, oh, but I'm fast. No, that's not the case. Well, the Lord showed me three things. I want to show kind of three. They're not exactly visions. They're just kind of understanding. But the first one was I saw an older boy explaining to a younger boy about a mousetrap. And the older boy was explaining that the cheese in a mousetrap is more tasty than any other cheese. Okay? But further, he said, just like when you're getting older and you get bigger and you can run faster, just like that, even so, you are faster than a mouse because you are bigger. Are you listening to this? The cheese is just waiting there for you to have. There's no risk. It's all pleasure. Now, if we ran across that discussion, there is some truth in what the person said. When you get bigger, you can run faster. You are not faster than a mouse going in and out of a trap. I clue you. And you're going to get hurt bad. And you would say, you deceived that young boy. And that would be something inside of us that would raise up and say, he's got that really hurt hand because of what you did. That's how God rises up. The deceit is a huge deal to God. And I had another, just the same thing with an older boy, explaining about power receptacles, power outlets. And he was explaining to the younger boy, just as a TV can do marvelous things once it is plugged into a power outlet, things it can never do 
unless it is unplugged, unless it is plugged into a power outlet. Even so, you will experience marvelous things if you take these two bare wires in each hand and plug yourself into the power outlet. Do you see? Well, is there truth in there? Well, there's some truth. The TV does marvelous things when it's plugged in. But the lie, the deceit is a flagrant lie. And what if you found an 11-year-old explaining that to a 5-year-old and handing him two bare copper wires? Now that would upset us in a big degree. God is upset in a big degree. Let me grab one adult story. Imagine someone came up to you and said, look, I've got this tremendous investment opportunity, and if you'll put $10,000 in it in a year, I can double your money. And all you've got to do is give me the $10,000, and this is a sure thing. And you go, oh my gosh, I don't want to miss this. This is a way to make 100% in a year. This is a great thing. So you give the person $10,000, and they hand you this form to sign, and you sign the form, and you go, okay, good. You know, and come back in a year, you can't find the person. They're nowhere to be seen. And they've walked off with your money. And they've done this with lots of people. And then you turn out that although you didn't notice it, in that form you signed, you gave them permission to withdraw money from your 401k. And you check your 401k and it's 90% depleted. And what would you think of that person if they came back a year later and said, Hi, Jim, listen, I've got another great investment opportunity. Well, they'd be lucky if they walk out of that room alive. Do you see? Because you had been deceived and you had been more deeply deceived than you thought. But do you know that Satan has the audacity to deceive and trap us using sin and then come back and do it again? And what do we do? Oh, what's your offer this time? Do you see? Now God is looking at these things saying, don't be deceived. I'm giving you these things so that you don't hurt yourself. You don't fall. Please don't be deceived. But sin is deceptive. Sin is deceptive. If we don't recognize it, we'll be in trouble. Now, an important point to note here is that people who are deceived do not know they're deceived. People who are deceived don't know they're deceived. Because if they knew they were deceived, they wouldn't be deceived. Have you got me? So if you walk into somebody in the world and they say, no, the, the, the way to satisfaction is gathering of things, getting a collection of beautiful women at your beck and call, being important and recognized amongst many peers. This is what brings joy and happiness. You will run into people who ardently believe that left and right, and they do not know they're deceived. They don't know it. And if you'll notice, all the deceptions of the enemy are in places that we cannot reach. So when, you're, when you have the lust of the eyes and you're looking at how, if I had money, the enemy is always saying, if you had 50% more money, you'd be happy. Well, it turns out you never have 50% more money. So you always think that was the place happiness was. I just never got there. But that was a lie. There was a billionaire on the radio, and I love this, and he basically got on the radio and said, those people that tell you having plenty of money brings happiness do not have plenty of money. 
it does not bring happiness. He was a billion, not a million, but a billionaire. Those people that tell you having plenty of money brings happiness don't have plenty of money because it's a lie of something that we'd never achieve. But the second thing he says is that sin hardens. In the same verse, he says, don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin hardens. And one tremendous example of this is pornography. So you say, well, you know, people start off, they start looking at one thing, then they watch it for a few more hours, and then something they never think they would ever look at, they start looking at it, and they go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and they are caught in miry clay. And they're caught. Because the first sin hardens them. And then the horror of sin doesn't look so bad. And Satan is right over your shoulder saying, that wasn't so bad, was it? And aren't you interested in just a little bit more? Come in further, come in deeper. This is where it lies. Sin hardens so that people who live with sin get further and further away from God and they don't see a path back. And this, of course, is Satan's plan. But sin's hardened. If sin abides in you, if bitterness abides in you, if unforgiveness abides in us, and we let it abide for a long time, it takes a major cracking to get rid of it. If we allow it to abide, it roots, and it can root deep. And the scripture even talks about roots of bitterness because they go in deep. Now I'm telling you, the only person who can wonderfully extract and destroy roots of bitterness, unforgiveness, and blame, and things that have been in our life, is Jesus. And he is more than willing. And that is why the scripture says, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And the Son can set us free. But we can become hardened by sin because sin naturally hardens now some of us have laid concrete i haven't done a ton but well actually i've done a ton i mean i've done a tremendous amount but i've done a ton laying concrete concrete is one of these deceptive things you put concrete out there it kind of flows in the beginning you go here people are going nope you got to get it going now get this, get to move on it you can't say come back tomorrow and we'll work on it no it's not going to be workable tomorrow Concrete goes from a place where it's kind of mushy and you can kind of flow it around some, and it gets hard. That's the way sin is. Sin hardens our hearts. And this is what's so amazing. Then the love of God comes along, and sin rejects the love. And sin always has a reason. And that's one of the reasons that the world is so bitter and says God cannot be loving because bad things are happening in the world. And if God exists, it's his fault bad things are happening in the world. And their hearts are hardened to the love of God. And that's one of the reasons in the scripture it talks so much about veils have to be ripped open. It's because hearts have been hardened. If you read God's description of the people in the Old Testament, his number one complaint to the, about them are that they are a stiff-necked and stubborn people. He shows them the way, and they are stiff-necked and stubborn. Are we stiff-necked and stubborn? If God shows us something in our life that's been there for a long time, do we go, well, I'm not going to get rid of that, that's asking too much? What do you do with the verse that says, do you let anger abide in you overnight? 
What happens when Jesus says, I want you to be just like me and love your enemies? And if you don't love your enemies, pray that I give you love for your enemies because the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us. Do we pray those things? Do we ask the Lord to set us free? I'm trying not to talk more than an hour. I'm at an hour. Okay, so I'm going to stop right here at sin hardening. Let me give you a, a jewel of a thing for next time. The other three things that sin does is that sin entangles, sin enslaves, and sin kills. So we have five things. Sin deceives, sin hardens our hearts, sin entangles, sin enslaves, and sin kills. And next time we're going to pick up with enslave. Okay, we're going to pick, um, excuse me, with entangles. We're going to pick up with sin entangle. But the essence of this is to say, this is where we're repenting from. The great news that we have is that's a life that we had. He has called us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. This is where we were. But we need to be knowledgeable about the ways of the enemy so we recognize his deceptions and his tricks and his lies. And every sin is a lie. The deception in every sin is a lie, and we need to know it and in our lives make sure we are not following that lie, but be able to see in other people's lives where they are in bondage because sin does enslave. And people are in bondage. They are just in bondage to sin. You know, when the angel came to Joseph and talked to him about Jesus in a dream, the angel said, you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Save them from what? Their sins. And we all need to be rescued from our sins because sins kill us. They entangle us. They enslave us. And even though most people think they control their sins, they don't control their sins. That's the lie. Sins control us. I'm getting into next week already. But this is an incredibly important thing that God wants to give us the ability so that we can open our mouths and share his word and bring liberty to the captive. In Isaiah 61 Jesus, when he opened up the scroll in the temple and read from Isaiah 61, it says so many great things in three verses about Jesus. So many great things. But one of the great things it says is that he will liberate the captive. That Jesus will liberate the captive and set him free who is in bondage. Now, when Jesus first read about who he was, those are the verses that he chose to read. He will liberate the captive and set him free who is in bondage. What a Lord we serve. Now, I don't want to have to preach this hardly ever again or talk about this hardly ever again because to me it's just so discouraging talking about all the lies and tricks and deceits. But on the other side, we want to see how great it is that the Lord has provided complete freedom complete rescuing. And when we talk about Jesus as Savior, the word Savior means rescuer. That he is the complete rescuer from sin and its power and the tricks of the enemy. The complete rescuer. 
What a wonderful Lord we serve. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our Savior and that you rescue us from the destruction that comes from sin. And we ask that you make, Lord, sin in our lives painfully obvious that we hate it. Lord, that we just ask that we be put a heart in us like the heart of Jesus, that we love your way and hate the way of iniquity. And Father, give us a special love for those who are trapped by iniquity, that we see them as you see them, that we love them as you love them, and that as you came to be liberators, even so we can help liberate them from the bondage and the captivity of sin. Thank you for freely giving to us, Lord. Thank you for freely loving us and making this way. Your name be praised now and forevermore. Amen.